0: Thank you for tuning in to Summary Judgment, where Austin personal injury attorneys Josh Fogelman and Aaron Von Flatern of FBF Law discuss the ins, outs, and in-betweens of personal injury cases. All right, welcome back to Summary Judgment. Uh, We're here again with myself and Aaron Von Flatern and Margaret Von Flatern, and we're going to continue our discussion about COVID, uh, focusing a little bit more this time on sort of uh, how FVF was uniquely positioned to handle such an abrupt uh, transformation. Um, And Margaret, since you were the logistical team leader, I think um, maybe you're a a good place to start talking about what would we do?
1: Um, so, we talked a little bit in the last episode how we had already dipped our toe in um, the work from home um, arena. So, uh, I will be the first to say I was anti and Aaron was pro and Josh was, as usual, neutral. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, he... Josh was on the side of whatever was going to work. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. But Uh, also on
2: the side of judging whatever failure occurred.
1: A hundred percent. So I do think that the baggage that I brought from a more corporate environment um, really informed what was my initial, um, what were my initial feelings around work from home, which is as soon as your boss is not there to make sure that you're working, um, you won't work. Um, and that is definitely, um, it, it just was incorrect. And I think Aaron rightfully, um, even before COVID said, absolutely not. Like that is not, first of all, we don't have a team in place that would behave in that way. Um, And if they do, then we have the tools and the resources available to us to make changes, to ensure that we have the right people gathered that um, can um, be autonomous in their work. And so maybe talk a little bit, Aaron, about um, why you felt that way and kind of what your... Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So backing it up, I know in the beginning, we were trying to be good lawyers and we quickly discovered that we also needed to be good business people. And so we attended, you know, like conferences and I was reading books and trying to get insights into how to make a business work. And once we had people working with us for us, uh, it became important to learn sort of the, the ideas of management and, uh, what that boils down to is is psychology just like we're all trying to manage ourselves there's a recipe to it it's chemistry it's alchemy it's not exactly a science where you can say this is going to work and this isn't for a particular person everybody's a little bit different um there are some people who need to have someone standing over them in order to get things done mm-hmm. you know they'll get more done that way will they burn out will they be unhappy will they leave anyway you know who knows Um, But those people certainly exist. I kind of knew that our team uh, was full of high-level professionals, people that took lots of pride in their work. They fit exactly into the model that, you know, the management 2.0 advocates were talking about. And that is, if you want to get those people at their peak performance, you need to figure out how they tick, figure out what gets them hopping out of bed in the morning. And it turns out it's things like, you know, autonomy, purpose, working on mastery. Mm -hmm. And that fit right into what we were doing. You know, every lawyer on earth is working on mastery if they really examine their practice. Um, And and every paralegal, you know, you'll never get there. That's the point of mastery is you'll never get there. You can only keep improving. Um, Purpose was something that we just kind of already had going for us. We felt strongly about our clients. Um, And and what we needed to do for them, we felt strongly about making personal injury law something different than it had been advertised on TV, you know, elevating it. So we felt like our purpose was clear. Um, Just supporting each other at work was a purpose for us. Um, And then there was the question of autonomy, not just the autonomy where it's like, hey, we have a flex schedule. You can show up between 7 and 8.30 uh, you know, a, a true, truly autonomous person gets to decide exactly how their day goes. They can decide if they want to get things done at one in the morning while their kids are sleeping and take care of their kids at three in the afternoon when they come home from school. You know, um, being able to decide on your technique, being able to decide on, you know, kind of what team you're working on, uh, that's what true autonomy looks like, and so... I had read a lot about that, kind of was curious about how it would work in our organization, but knew that, you know, this was not like a game. You know, we were frankly a little bit insecure about the idea of just throwing the doors open and say, everybody do whatever you want, you know, serve your clients, do your best. Hopefully you'll get it done. Um, We weren't quite psychologically prepared for that as a leadership team and, I'm a little bit grateful to COVID for having forced that issue and saying, "No, nope, you're going to have to, you're going to have to trust." And that trust, you know, thankfully was rewarded by our team just digging deep and and making it work.
0: Yeah, it was, you know, I remember having conversations with y'all about that uh, what level of autonomy did we trust the organization and the members of the organization to have during this time? Um, because there was a lot of pressure and a lot of stress, you know, when we were trying to figure out how we were going to survive COVID. And we th- talked a lot about well what level of oversight do we have Mm -hmm. there were programs like toggle and some other Mm -hmm. uh some other systems that we could have tapped into to really observe and manage and evaluate each individual team member's productivity and we could have micromanaged
2: We
0: we could have spied like a lot of corporations did yeah and i i think uh Ultimately, we decided and a lot of this, you know, came from you two with my support, <laughs> of course. You're very Switzerland-like. Support. Very much, very much. I think we decided that the better option was to trust and see how it went versus be big brother and demonstrate a level of distrust and try to maintain complete control. And I think that that decision was rewarded by our team really standing up and demonstrating to us what they were capable of doing, both individually and as a team together. And I found it pretty interesting as things unfolded, and as, it, as the work from home, the remote work uh, evolved, I found it pretty interesting to see how you still had a level of accountability within the team. Where if a person wasn't carrying their weight, even if you weren't there in person to observe it, it be it was made known. It rose to the surface and was something that could be addressed. Um, and you know, everyone remained accountable and, and everyone adapted and has done or continues to do a great job of uh, holding themselves accountable to their own standards, which which are high.
2: Yeah, inventing <clears throat> inventing the systems of accountability and support is something. I mean, the team did that. You know, we didn't tell them how to be accountable. We didn't tell them how to support each other. They had a few platforms that we had provided them, and they they ran with it, and uh, it was pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah, so um, 100%. And I think that two things. First, once we decided or could have enforced the issue of we're going to be a predominantly remote uh, workforce, then the – Two questions came up, which is the first was, how do we maintain our culture? Um, You know, we are an organization that really values that face-to-face interaction, Um, not just for the business purpose of collaboration, but... For establishing deep and meaningful relationships with each other. Um, we have always had a, um, a really robust uh, community outreach um, program in the organization. You know, we do a lot of service work together. We do a lot of team lunches. We do a lot of team building. We just spend time together um, and think it's important that um, we foster those relationships inside the organization. So we had to figure out how do we continue to do that um, in a remote environment? And, you know, and then the, the next thing that We and I won't go into a lot of detail about that because I think you know a lot of companies did that. And there's you know, we had virtual all staff meetings, we had a virtual um birthday party because we do birthday parties instead of holiday parties on our anniversary. You know, there's we did the stand ups, which we've talked about previously, but we really were intentional in how we brought people together initially virtually and ultimately. It, like physically together and use that time um, with real purpose. The, I think from a uh, organizational perspective and a team building perspective, the other piece that's really important that came out of COVID is who we had on the team. And so the vast majority of staff did really well. In the transition. Um, but. COVID really. Shined a bright light. On. Um, folks. For whom. FVF wasn't the right. Space. For them. In either their practice or. Um, in whatever role that they were playing for us. And so. um I'm so grateful for the opportunity that COVID provided us to really start to be so um, laser-focused on uh, the individuals that we bring into the organization and specifically what we um, looked to for now that is different maybe than what we were hyper-focused on before are folks who share our common values. Um, And so, you know, we can, we are so fortunate that I think we are a place that people want to come and practice, um, want to come and, um, you know, be on our team. And so Now we have the ability to really have folks who've got great resumes, have great experience, but really what we look for is, can you succeed in a values-driven organization? Can you embody the four core values, which anytime you guys have me on, (laughs) I have to warn you, I'm always going to bring it back to education, advocacy, compassion, and transparency. You know, w- how do folks really demonstrate um, that they share those those values with us?
2: Which boils down to, can you emotionally connect with your work in a way that's going to help you weather the storm when those storms come? You know, are you going to be able to, to dig deep and get another gear and find a way to make it work for your clients against, you know, the headwinds that are out there? And, and when COVID hit it's kind of the ultimate headwind because the courts were were closed for a minute and the medical offices were closed and you didn't have a way to see your coworkers. So as a lawyer, you're feeling especially isolated. They always say, you know, it's a lonely practice referring to the fact that most lawyers, although they can be on teams, they typically have to do the hard work alone. And so when you're also physically isolated, you know, you're just down in a dark well. (laughs) And if you have to stay up till... Two in the morning to make a motion hearing work, um, you've you've really got to dig deep, and so you know having a good attitude can only go so far. I think it's that emotional connection that helps you reach deep down and and just say, "I've got to do something special here."
0: Yeah, I think you know a lot of uh, what I what we have seen evolve from our team members, sort of rising to the occasion. Is a lot more self-sufficiency as well. I think when you don't, when it's not easy to walk to the neighboring office and say, hey, how did you handle this? Or what should I do here? Or, hey, do you know a case that says X, Y, and Z? Uh, I think it triggered a lot of our team members to really have to learn how to problem solve creatively on their own to do research projects on their own, to learn about the other extraneous resources that are available out there beyond our organization, uh, tapping into the larger network of trial lawyers and personal injury lawyers in our community and in our state and become more involved on those listservs to uh, you know, get help, um, ask for help and get help it was it's been one of the kind of huge positives that has come out of covid for our team is that true development of autonomy and learning their own style of the practice of law learning how to make decisions on their own and become less reliant upon other people in the organization to hold their hand into the fire Um, And and I think, you know, the people in our organization have done a really incredible job of that, of kind of coming into their own through this process, despite the odds being stacked against everyone in this practice from not being in a cohesive together environment physically. And credit to Margaret for for putting together such a strong team.
2: I think when she came here... Um, As we talked about in previous podcasts, she had a background with kind of a big Fortune 500 company and and managing a team over three states. Um, And her skill set included the ability to put together teams that were uh, dynamic and functional. Uh, Margaret, could you talk a little bit about your evolution as some – like the way you viewed putting teams together before how you were sort of trained in the corporate culture Mm – And then how it has evolved in the FVF world where we've got, you know, what I consider just such a a magical team of, of all-stars.
1: Yeah. um, So the corporate world is just so different. Um, And I think, you know, there's lots of fancy tools that we use in corporations. There's lots of consultants that sell us lots of books and do um, lots of, you know, tests and evaluations to tell us where we have gaps in competencies and behavioral tendencies that make good teams and all of that kind of stuff. And we do utilize some of that um, in our hiring practices today or in our team building practices today. But we use that information um in a more intuitive way. So, you know, again, going back to understanding what our values are and what we're looking for, um, in individuals, you know, we're not so prescriptive in how we hire, um, you know, and it, it depends too on the position that we're filling. We've been so fortunate recently to hire, uh, make a couple of really exceptional attorney hires. Um, the Our last two attorney hires, we were only going to hire one person and we had such, um, such amazing talent presented itself to us. We figured out how to hire two people um, and they've been great fits for the organization. But we took a really long time in those hires. Um, so, so, going back to the question like how does does our philosophy around hiring different, how is it different today than it was when I first started? Um, You know, we take things slow um, and we have an understanding that if it takes us three to six months um, in the – progression of a relationship with a candidate to bring them on board, then that's okay because what we're talking about is a marriage, right? And we shouldn't run off to Vegas and elope with somebody after one good date. Um, we owe, we owe ourselves and our clients some, um, to do more due diligence, to be more thoughtful, and who we bring in to the organization and to our team members too, right? We owe it to the folks who are already here that we bring really good people onto the boat, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, recruiting, uh, staffing and recruiting Managers would probably cringe at the idea that you would take six months to bring somebody on board, um, right? Because they have a vacancy to fill and they're measured on the turnover rate of that vacancy and all of that. Um, And also that that candidate, you're going to do all this work with a candidate and then they're going to go get another job. Well, I mean, the reality is I'm not looking for somebody who is looking for a job. I'm looking for somebody who wants to come and work for FVF law. And I know that sounds just so pretentious. Um, And, well, isn't that nice? It is nice. And we're going to be slow and thoughtful. And we're only going to hire people that want to work for us.
0: I think it would sound pretentious if we didn't have people come to us all the time and give us that feedback. (laughs) Like, we weren't looking for a law job. We wanted to come and join your organization because we'd heard so many positive things about it
1: well credit where
0: credit is due there
1: it's great that you know we pride ourselves on being a five-star law firm and you can go to our google reviews um and if you are a previous client and haven't left us a five-star review you (laughs) may do that now um um, I'm kidding, but you know you can go and look and see what our clients say about us and what I and that makes me very proud, right? There's so many hundreds and hundreds of thoughtful, um, heartfelt, heartfelt um, feedback about you know our team and the experience clients have with us. Um, what's also wonderful is when we get that feedback from our staff, right? or from defense attorneys that work with us who say we're great to work with or, you know, other people in our space who recommend us as uh, either an employer or as a PI firm for um, clients. Like, it really does mean the world to us that um, that we are thought of highly. And I think, you know, again... You two set the tone for that. I mean, the way that both of you walk through our community, impacting people that you come in contact with, whether it's when you wear your FEF hat or your own personal hats, is just incredibly meaningful. You know, you are both earnest and um, really good guys, um, good people, and you know, and Thank we, you. You're welcome. Um you need a haircut. But,
0: <laughs> maybe um. maybe a slight trim.
1: <laughs> but you know, you we are I think our organization was founded by two great humans practicing for the right reason and it has attracted great humans myself included <laughs> um to the organization. And so, so we get to be heartfelt and sappy in the way we hire, you know, which is such as somebody who spent 20 years in corporate America, like, that's amazing. Like, we really do get to know people and bring the right folks with um, with the right reasons onto the boat. And that's, that's great. And, you know, we have people who've been with us since day one, you know, we have um, and then we have you know, more recent hires that I think will be with us, you know, hopefully for the next 10 years. And it just, it feels like a really, a really great family.
2: You know, the stakes are high for our hiring. And I think that's part of why um, we, we approach it so philosophically, you know, there there's the stakes in our clients lives, you know, basically like they're depending on the people that we attach to them. And, you know, a lot of them have been through just tremendous catastrophic trauma. They're dealing with, with children who are trying to process that. And if you're not putting an A-plus person with them, you're really doing them a disservice, not to mention, you know, like the money stakes at the end of the case right. because of how you practice law, um, and not to mention um, the stakes of, you know, what what comes out of those reviews is a charge to the whole team. So when we get a positive review, it kind of electrifies the whole team and everybody high fives. And it's like, we need that fuel for this fire. And there's really no room for error there when it comes to the philosophical alignment. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, credit, Margaret, for uh, being so thoughtful about the process.
1: Well, and I will say, and ruthless about. Cold. Cold. I'm cold-blooded like that was all the warm fuzzy stuff about you know creating the environment bringing the right people on the boat but when somebody is rowing against the boat they're invited off the boat right so we are not the right fit for everyone and mainly and we have really talented folks who've come and worked for us that we have mutually agreed it's not a right it's not a good fit um and I think that that's from a business perspective I would love to see other leaders and organizations um, approach um, hiring and retention um, in that way. And, you know, we are very transparent from the Like, there's no—no one's ever—like, I don't know that um, anyone has ever— leaving FEF is, is most like most of the time is a mutual decision that two parties are coming to because it's just not a good fit. Um, we're not a good fit for them. They're not a good fit for us, whatever it is. But again, we lean into transparency um, in the process. Um, we have someone that we hired recently, who um, is um, probably editing this podcast, um, who we were hiring for our position. Maybe
0: in the room with us right now. <laughs> Maybe. Perhaps.
1: Um, but we started the, he he laughs and comments and tells people now that um, the way we um, approached like our third or fourth interview with him is I sat down and told, told him all the reasons he could get fired <laughs> from FVF, um, which I don't think I actually put it that way. I think the way that we describe it to folks is like, this is what we're looking for, and this would make somebody not a good fit. And so let's talk about whether or not those, like, whether or not we're good fits for each other before we ever decide to make this thing official. You know, um, you wouldn't go on a date with somebody who, like, fosters cats when you have a severe cat allergy. Right. I didn't know where
2: you were going with that. <laughs> I'm
1: I'm gonna bring it home. I'm
2: okay with that one. I'm gonna yeah.
1: bring it home. I was um, gonna say
2: there's nothing wrong with fostering cats, Margaret.
1: <laughs> I have a severe cat allergy. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's like a Um but but I just think, you know, there are some things that aren't necessarily divulged through the normal hiring process. There are some ways that organizations Don't lean into radical transparency that um, make it hard for people to make a good decision on whether they want to, you know, invest their time in your organization and agree to come and work for you because you haven't been forthright and transparent about who you are. Um, what you value as an organization, what it's going to feel like and look like to work here on a day-to-day basis. You know, a lot of times um, what companies will do is put their best foot forward, and it's all about, it's a one-way conversation. It's all that applicant giving you all the reasons why you want to hire them. Well, I think that these relationships go both ways. You know, I can fail you as an organization. You can fail me as a team member. And so I need you to know from the jump what it's going to look like to work with us, you know, and to work on this team and to be a team member. And so that's really important. And it's been, you know, coming back to why are we talking about this in the, in a post COVID age or what does this have to do with COVID COVID shined a bright light on whether or not everyone on the team was pointed in the right direction and what were on the same page with our mission, vision, and values.
0: Yeah, I think you know there's a lot to talk about with regard to COVID beyond how it impacted the organization. There's a lot uh, of logistical changes that occurred in the practice mm-hmm. of law itself. In the interest of time, I think um, we'll probably talk about that in a later episode, um, but it's uh, interesting to sort of reflect and think back about what we went through and how this uh, pandemic really changed the fabric of who we are as an organization and highlighted what we were doing well and helped us adapt and change those things that presented an opportunity for improvement. So Thank you both for your insights here. Um, Thank you all for listening and tuning in. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all next time.